This is the OTP presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. Healthcare coverage from Farm Bureau Health Plans is like an extra set of pads when you need them the most. They've been protecting Tennesseans since 1947. With Amy Wells, I'm Mike Keith. Coach Dave McGinnis and Rhett Bryan, our Titans radio draft duo, join me. And we're also thrilled to be joined by former University of Tennessee and NFL offensive lineman Ramon Foster. We appreciate you joining us. And Ramon, I start this conversation with you. The Titans took Caleb Farley on Thursday night, cornerback Virginia Tech. The first pick for the Titans on Friday night at number 53, Dylan Radins, offensive lineman from North Dakota State. As you have read, as you have studied, as you have looked at Dylan Radins. What can he do for the Tennessee Titans? He's a young guy that's played at a small university, but he's played big. He's intentional with everything he has going on. I like the fact that even in his presser, he lets you know that he's coming in to start. Whether that happens or not, you know his intentions. And when you're dealing with a kid like that, you know that, look, all I got to do is just push him out there. Let him know what he's doing. Congratulate him when he's doing well, but you're always going to be able to push a guy like that because he seems like he's right-minded. Coach Mack will tell you, it's certain guys that, hey, you just give them the ball and they go. That seems to be the type of guy that he is. Big kid, able to play well, and he's proven that by blocking for Trey Lance also. So this is something that he's that's, that's not new to him as far as protecting the franchise quarterback. Hey, he had to do that at North Dakota State University. Ramon, you're talking about him as a – player specifically and one of the things that you do is you look at the player and you say how does this player fit what the specific franchise needs Dave McGinnis Dylan Radins how does this specific player fit what the Tennessee Titans need in 2021 and beyond he's going to be one of the seven on, on Sunday you know because he can play tackle he may be he may be the tackle you know before before it all comes around but he'll get that chance. And here's the thing that I got from him listening to him. I watched him on tape. But listening to him, it's not too big for him. This is not too big for him. But he, he doesn't think that he has it all figured out yet either. You can tell he's a smart guy, that he wants to learn, but he's got the right perspective on what this is. This is a job that you're getting ready to do. And he, he's, he's already taking it very seriously. You could just tell just from his press conference how seriously he's going to take it. But he can be one of the seven on Sunday because he can play tackle, and I think he would be able to swing in an emergency if you needed him to. Rhett Bryan, he blew it out at the Senior Bowl, didn't he? He absolutely did. And what did you say his uh, major was? Industrial engineering. Yeah. He's a smart guy. Mm -hmm. And you could hear it in his first press conference. And then, like Amy Wells said, you could couple that with the excitement about He's going to block for a 2,000-yard rusher in Derrick Henry. He's going to have a chance to set up and protect Ryan Tannehill in this thing. And I think that is a valid point from, from Dave McGinnis that he is smart, but he's not telling you he's the smartest guy in the room. I think it's a very solid pick. And a place where he might have gone a little further down the board than a lot of people had because when you get past those first tackles that were selected on Friday night, he was a name that was mentioned pretty early on, regardless of small school. Anything in your interview with Dylan Radins, Amy Wells, that really jumped out to you as you had a chance to visit with one of the newest Titans? His competitiveness, how badly he wants to be 
good at this specific position. He wants to make an impact on this team. He had that major because he wanted to do a hard major to prove that he could have a hard major. Who does that? Crazy people yeah. or really, really competitive people I like guess. Dylan Radins. Like, that makes sense. But he also was excited about blocking for Derrick Henry. He referred to the quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, as precious cargo. Like, mm. we need to take care of him. We need to protect him. And that's the mentality that I want in an offensive lineman. Is that offensive line lingo that you like to hear, Ramon? I like that. Amy did well with that. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. but, but the other side of this pick, too, is John Robinson and Coach Vrabel have done this. They've created a competitive environment. Kendall Lamb, Tyson Brelo, and then the young guy, Dylan Radins. They're creating a competition. Made the best man win. Whether it's him, I still agree with Coach Mack. He's at least one of the seven active linemen on game day. Speaking of competition, let's talk about the third pick of Friday night at number 100, Elijah Molden, a fantastic talent out of Washington. Rep Bryan wasn't expected to be there at this point. Titans had already taken a defensive back, and yet because he was so highly rated and because it's such a position of need, you couldn't pass him up, and now you got big-time competition in the secondary. Yeah, and you're talking about a guy that's got a pedigree in terms of the gene pool. His father was an 11th overall pick of the 96 draft by the Saints, Alex Molden. Uh, as you said, an Oregon Hall of Famer. He decides, because his mom went to Oregon, too, and he's like, no, I'm going to UW. By the way, they don't like each other. No, they, they do not. They really don't like each other. not a good thing in the yeah. Pac-12 family or Pac-12 conference. But you're talking about a guy who – you're right. He probably was one of the, the highest-rated remaining top 100 players to be taken at 100. Went a lot lower in this thing than I, I actually thought he would. I think he was supposed to be taken somewhere before that Titans 53rd pick originally, what they were scheduled to have in there. But he has production in this thing, and I think certainly he can be a nickel cornerback in this. But, yes, the secondary, which has been a question mark because of some departures, is now a place where, you're right, serious competition. Coach Mack, as as Saturday dawns, do you think the Titans also pursue a safety potentially in day three of this draft? Yeah, could possibly, but I think they'll look at the wide receiver. I think they'll look at the wide receiver lines too, you know, uh, to, to start with. Maybe take a look at the tight ends. They could pursue a safety but they've got, they've got people that can play safety right now, and it just depends on – I mean, I haven't looked at my safety board. I, I just put up my horizontal board, you know, to look at it. But I would, I would think that they would look a little bit more on the offensive side of it with the tight end and the wide receiver early on and then maybe pursue. They still could add to this secondary again because you're right, Mike. I mean, they, they had to jettison two starters. Mm-hmm. So they're still building this thing. What I like about what he did – he had some boxes to check, and he went and checked them. He went and checked them, no doubt. Now, speaking of that, I think we all thought that the Titans would pursue a linebacker with the situation contractually with the starting linebackers and with their depth. I mean, I don't think it's any surprise they went after a linebacker. Why go after Monty Rice from Georgia with the 92nd pick? GPS dude, and he can slip and slide and find the ball. He's also going to have to be a core teamer. And when I say core teamer, I'm talking about somebody that's going to have to play on kickoff, kickoff return, punt, and punt return. I mean, you're going to have to, he's going to have to do that. I mean, that's what he's going to be, and he can do that just because of the way that he can move in space. And behind the ball, it, if you've played behind the ball in, in, in collegiate football, 
and you understand how to key and diagnose a little bit, you're a little bit ahead of the curve when you come in. If you're just a guy that's a C-ball, get-ball guy in college at the level that you play at, it takes a while to learn how to read and cipher what you are looking at. This guy's a pretty decent reader of what goes on. Ramon, talk to me about through 105 picks of the 2021 draft, is there something specific that has stuck out to you or surprised you? I think what stuck out to me for the most part is the way teams are choosing to build the rest of their roster. This has been a weird year. The cap situation has kind of thrown everybody off kilter a little bit and just seeing that they're going strictly for needs. Again, talking about Coach Mack's point about money rice here. Here's a guy that's going to have to cut his teeth on special teams. And that's not necessarily saying you wasted a third-round pick on a, uh, on a linebacker to play special teams. No, 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 no. This is a guy that's going to get an opportunity to gain experience, to be able to see what the physical part of the NFL is about, and also say, hey, look, we got you as a third-rounder. Yes, you're going to be safe to make this team this year, but we need you to make plays. And I feel like all the teams, for the most part, got guys throughout this draft that can make this team and make plays in other ways. Looking at just, again, Elijah Molden is another guy that's the same way. I, I looked at him. It's interesting, uh, Rhett, bring up the fact that where his parents went to school at and where he went to school at. And one of the notes I have on him, why so angry? Why so mad? <laughs> <laughs> He's chosen violence in a lot of different ways. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad to see, you know, here he is with an opportunity to come to Nashville and expose that type of stuff on this team. And you guys know, like I know, that that's the type of players that Coach Vrabel wants. Building their teams through exactly what the team needs because of the cap situations, what all teams chose to do this draft. Amy, same question for you. What has stuck out to you about this overall NFL draft or what has surprised you? Well, there's a couple things. I think the draft as a whole, like to Ramon's port, has been a reflection of the strange times that we're in. It's been a very clear reflection of teams struggling with cap issues or trying to meet the crazy cap issues that everyone's trying to maneuver this season. For the Titans specifically, I'm so excited by the needs that have been addressed in this draft so far. Things that we've been talking about since the end of the 2020 season that we were wondering how some of these spots were going to be filled going forward. We saw some of that in free agency. Now we're seeing another wave of it. Titans fans should be so excited about the way this team is shaping up because we're starting to see some of those weaker positions or positions of need starting to see those pieces fill in. And that's very exciting going into day three. All right, Rep. Brian, I've got a question for you. And Coach Dave McGinnis, I'm going to ask you to follow up and answer the same one. What needs to happen in day three to fully complete the Titans class and make this draft weekend as successful as possible? For me, they need wide receiver. They need tight end. I would like to see another edge player. And there's a guy that's sitting here right now that I can't believe didn't go tonight that would be really, really good to bolster your offensive line, and that's guard Trey Smith from the University of Tennessee. Now, I like that. I mean, look, we, we worked on the same horizontal board. And, and when you're looking at it and then you look at the, at the boxes, as I talked about, that need to be checked, they've checked them, but they've got a couple of boxes that need a couple more pieces in them. We need wide receiver, and we, you know, we need a tight end. And then you can never have too many secondary people. And earlier during the draft, you had talked about and had asked a real serious question to all of us about a kicker. I was stunned that I didn't get a negative reaction on that because usually when you bring up drafting a kicker, people pull out weapons. Um, but in this case, it didn't happen. I, I think with how the kicking has gone the last couple of years, I, I think everyone realizes 
the Titans need to do whatever they need to do to kind of solve that whole or thing. Or create competition. At least. Well, yeah. if that's not addressed, I think Titans fans might bring out some weapons. Oh, that's I fair. think that that is a place <laughs> that Titans fans want to see some tinkering with, we'll say. And to that point about a kicker, though, you got to think, they just signed Morgan Cox this offseason. Right. That's a point of the of the special teams unit that's very important. And as quick as he can get a young guy in to train up, you know, the, the timing. And I don't know if it's a draft. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't think it can be free agency because you don't want to pay that much for a vet. If they can get a young guy through the draft, do it. Do it. No doubt about it. Interesting thing the Titans did on night one of the draft is they took Caleb Farley, cornerback from Virginia Tech at number 22, You've had a chance to hear him some, and you've had a chance to sort of get to know Caleb Farley a little bit, and you will have more of those opportunities in the coming days. I had an interesting opportunity on Friday, and that is to interview Virginia Tech head coach Justin Fuente and talk with him about his player, Caleb Farley. He had a lot of great things to say. Here's that as part of this OTP. Coach Justin Fuente, thanks so much for taking time with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I want to start at the beginning, how Virginia Tech ended up with Caleb Farley. You had to travel to the biggest little football town in the world, Maiden, North Carolina, population 3419, home of the Blue Devils, and you found this quarterback. Tell us the story about recruiting Caleb Farley. Well, he was a pleasure to recruit. I mean, he was this old skinny guy that uh, loved football and, you know, thought he was going to be the next Cordell Stewart, you know, was out there running around. Nobody could tackle him. He was the fastest guy on the field by 10 miles. And, you know, we really got on him early and really developed a good trusting relationship with him. And as we went through and saw him, I mean, we knew we could run, but my goodness, you know, he was just I think he set the North Carolina record for touchdowns in a season, high school record. I mean, he just, you know, it became obvious that this was just a really special, special athlete as he went through his, his senior year. And, and we began to discuss positions. Do you want a chance at quarterback? If so, we're happy to do that. We, we've done that before for guys. If it doesn't, you know, if you're the fourth team quarterback, you're not going to enjoy that. Then where do we want to go? So on and so forth. And anyway, we, we eventually landed on, wide receiver or or defensive back and then continued our evaluation and really felt like if he could handle the transition that he had a chance to be a really really special db he started his career at virginia tech as a wide receiver and then hurt a knee immediately which forced him out for the 2017 season had he stayed at wide receiver could he have been just as successful? Maybe. Uh, you know, we put him there for that year, which lasted 11 periods in the first practice. I mean, one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever had happen as a coach. I mean, just gut-wrenching to have a kid hurt his knee in, in practice, in the first practice of fall camp, period 11, literally almost an hour into practice, non-contact, we're just in helmets. But that was more of... Caleb, this is our plan. I, I still believe that you're going to be a DB. For this year, we've got three NFL DBs. Like, let's see what happens at wideout for this year with the long-term goal of maybe moving over to DB. And that never materialized. Obviously, he got hurt, and then we went ahead and moved him back over. But I don't know what would have happened. Caleb would probably say, you play me anywhere, coach. It was going to work out. But 
I believe in my heart that the corner was where he was going to end up to maximize his his ability. Justin, his story of character in that first year in Blacksburg, really amazing. With the knee injury, right off the bat, he's away from home, not playing football. And then they learned that his mother, Robin's cancer has come back, a virulent strain. Obviously, she's not going to make it, and she passes away in January. I mean, what a what a difficult five months for that young man, and obviously a tough job for all of you coaches to try to help him get through that. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the, the single best or most defining thing about Caleb Farley is how he handled those situations. I mean, in both times, once was on the phone and once was in person. I had conversations with him when he was hurt and when he lost his mom. And you know how it is when you go into those conversations, you go in them, you know it's a bad situation, you know people are sad and you go in with the hopes of giving them something to, to feel better about or to, to perk them up a little bit or let them know that you care. And both of those conversations, I came away feeling better. He actually cheered me up in the, those conversations, the way he approached and attacked those difficult situations, I think speaks volumes about, about him. And I mean, he just really took a positive look at all of those and was convincing me that everything was going to be okay. And there are not a lot of people on the planet like that. You know, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a unique and, and special person. He did move to defensive back, moved to corner the following spring, had never played there. And by the time you get to the next fall, he's one of your starters, intercepts two passes in his first game against Florida State. That was really just kind of the first look at what was to come from Caleb Farley, wasn't it? It was. You know, I, I remember sitting here right at this desk I'm at right now and talking to him about it again. And he said, Coach, he said, I, I trust you. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do the best I can at DB. He goes, you know, I've never tackled anybody before, right? Like, this is a quarterback. Like, this isn't even a, a guy that played both ways. This was the quarterback. So he's like, you know, I've never tackled anybody. So there was a learning curve there, you know, for him. And I think one of the things that's going to help him as he moves forward is he has struggled before. You know, certainly he had two interceptions in his first, in his first start. But as he went through the season, you know, he had ups and downs. And, you know, his first time playing corner and trying to figure it out and gain confidence. But he made enough plays that, that all of us are like, okay, like, wait, like when he gets this figured out, it's going to be something pretty special. And then heading into the next year, he was really, really good. His quarterback play from high school. I think about that and I ask you this question because I know you were a college quarterback and you've tutored a lot of fine quarterbacks in your time as a coach. How much does playing that position from a leadership role and a mental role help him as he moved forward at Virginia Tech and as he comes to the Titans in the NFL? I'm biased, obviously, but I think playing that position helps you the rest of your life, you know, from public speaking to leadership, to handling adversity, to receiving criticism. You know, the quarterback, you know, gets way too much credit when things go well and too much blame when things don't go well. I, I think all of that is good for us, you know, and falling down and skinning our knees are, is a good thing and getting back up. There's an element of understanding a bigger picture of the game, which I don't know how much he got of that in high school. It was mostly him running around and people not tackling him, but, you know, going through those ups and downs and, and going through 
you know, playing that leadership position, I think helped him as he went through ups and downs later in his life on the football field. And as he switched positions and, and ultimately as he makes this transition to the NFL. Justin, as I've talked to everybody associated with him from folks back in Maiden, North Carolina, to different scouts, to coaches, all sorts of people, they start the conversation with him talking about speed. How fast is Farley? <laughs> well, every year, some freshman that was the fastest kid on his team or that finished first in the 100-meter dash in his high school in, in some state down south, or some kid would show up here in the summertime for us in each signing class and want to try Caleb on for size because he heard Caleb was fast. And every year, he would absolutely blow their doors off. I mean, not even, not even close. I don't know what he would have run had he been able to run. We were all really excited to see it because he sent us some of his training video as he was preparing and he looked really good. So he's got elite speed and I know the NFL is a fast game and I know there's a lot of guys that can run in the NFL, but he's got elite speed and we'll have elite, elite speed at the next level. What is the biggest thing that Caleb Farley brings to the Tennessee Titans that you're most excited to see on Sundays? The first thing is he's going to be willing to learn. Like this is a guy that knows he's not finished. You know, like he, he's one of those, those young people that, that had a dream and worked towards it every day. He didn't just talk about the dream. You know, he had the posters on the wall and he did the work. Certainly he has God given ability, but he did the work and he didn't dream about the car and the money. He dreamt about playing in the NFL. And certainly those things are nice that come along with it. But, you know, he's going to walk in there wide-eyed in the respect of, tell me what to do. You know, teach me what I need to do so I can learn so that I can be good at this now. And not everybody's like that. You know, some 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 guys walk in the door and think they know everything. And this is a youngster that, that is – intelligent enough and, and smart enough to know that he needs to be coached and he's a willing participant in being coached and is willing to do whatever is asked of him. Was there one particular moment where you saw him on the field that you went, wow, this guy's not like everybody else? Yeah, well, in, in his first spring here, he caught a couple balls on offense and, you know, you know, everybody went crazy like, like it was Jerry Rice. You know, like that was kind of the, the early moment of like, who's this Caleb Farley? Why are we going to play him on defense? There's that. And then I'll never forget his first game, the the interception on the deep ball over the middle where he just in the Florida State game, his first start, not too long after his mom had passed. And that game, you know, with everything that he'd been through and the, the switch to defensive back, to have him have success, even though there were ups and downs after that. To me, that was the marking of the beginning of something pretty special. And you watch the Titans play. You know Mike Vrabel's football team. You know John Robinson's organization. You said that you were pleased that he gets a chance to play here. Why, in your mind, from what you know of the Titans and what you know of Caleb Farley, is he such a fit here? Well, all I know is what I see on the outside, you know, and I see Coach Vrabel and I, I think of no-nonsense, real football coach. And I see a running, tough, hard-nosed running game, and I see great defense. And Caleb is going to understand that culture and that expectation. I'm thrilled 
that he is going there to a stable place with tradition that at least to the outside observer has an identity stands for that identity and tries to go impose that identity on somebody else and i think he's going to fit right into that and hopefully be a, be a, a great contributor finally what did caleb farley mean to justin fuente to the other coaches to his teammates to his fellow students at virginia tech well for us it's it's about trust and i think trust is is harder these days you know like for coaches and players it's just a different dynamic than it was five or ten years ago mostly because of the information or or misinformation that many young people get but this youngster trusted us you know he trusted us through his rehab and the people in our in our training room you know he trusted us through his development in nutrition in the weight room he trusted us in academics he trusted us through a position switch and now he gets a chance to go reap the benefits of that. And, you know, that's what we talk about is, you know, this, this youngster came in and certainly has talent, but was an open book and wanted us to help him. And we take pride in that, you know, like we can't, I'm certainly not beating my chest. Caleb did the work, but it's just, it's fun to see that. It's fun to see that, that trust manifest itself in, in success. For Coach Dave McGinnis, Ramon Foster, Rhett Bryan, Amy Wells, I'm Mike Keith. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the OTP.